On the station with more hair, more flair, yet so debonair. Radioinfluence.com Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. It is the best event in sports, and we're down to 16 teams and only 15 games left in the NCAA tournament for 2019. Welcome into the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs, and in this case, exclusively to the college hoops and the college underdogs for the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. This time next week, we will know the final four teams to go to Minneapolis. To this point, the Faves have done very well, but why do I get the feeling that some underdogs will rear up uh, here in the next couple of rounds of play, and we may very well see an underdog team or maybe more than one in the Elite Eight and in the Final Four. I am your somewhat capable host. He is senior handicapper and writer, VegasInsider.com. Kevin Rogers back with me, and bravo to you, a 3 for 3 week last week for the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Kevin giving you St. Mary's, Cal Irvine, and Ohio State. I actually had two of three with Oregon and New Mexico state covering uh, georgia state was nowhere close with houston blowing them out but we had a five for six week you were three for three we are rolling along in march hello sir good to have you yeah thank you it was uh it was really good you know uh the first game st mary's they, they kind of snuck by and now i wanted to get the cover but as far as the other two you know kansas state i feel like they ran a gas towards the end of the season and you know i really don't know much about uc irvine but i thought that line told you a lot and then the third game, I really did like Ohio State. Uh, you know, in that game against Iowa State, just like I told you that, Iowa State was a team that, yeah, they flew under the radar. I liked them in the Big 12 tournament. But at the same time, now all of a sudden people are looking at them as, oh, this could be a real threat to, to go far, where I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 they, they've already kind of petered out to maybe the time that you would take them. So I just think that the uh, the Buckeyes were, were a really good look because they kind of weren't under the radar team. And this guy, Chris Holtman, has done really well in first-round matchups. So, yes, we did well. And you look at how well the Big Ten did overall, including the teams they got through to the Sweet 16 here with the likes of Michigan State and Michigan and Purdue. Ohio State gets the opening round win. Uh, Minnesota got an opening round win. I know Wisconsin was beaten by Oregon. I had that game pegged. In fact, this is documented in a bracket. I had Oregon against Cal Irvine and Oregon advancing to the Sweet 16. I didn't get them all right, but I got that one right. So we did see some lower-seeded teams, uh, whether it was Liberty or Murray State, pull the upsets. Uh, and some other smaller schools, Belmont had the ball against Maryland. Maryland did win the opening round game also for the Big Ten, but Maryland was in trouble. Belmont had the ball down one, couldn't convert. Uh, there at the end. I mean, it was just, it was great theater to watch all these games unfold. Uh, and the little guy, again, demonstrated we, we belong. We can trade punches uh, with the big guy. 
if given the chance. I mean, Auburn is alive in the Sweet 16. We're going to talk some about them. I don't know, Kevin, how they escaped against New Mexico State. Fouling a three-point shooter while up two, could have could, with the second left, could have been down by one. As it turns out, the New Mexico State player missed not one, but two of the three free throws. And then Auburn knocks the ball out of bounds, and New Mexico State got a clean look where a two-pointer wins the game, much less a three-pointer wins the game, and the kid shot an air ball on a wide-open look out of the corner for three. They escaped, and then they obliterated Kansas to get into the Sweet 16. It just shows you how fragile the NCAA tournament is. Auburn could have been home on day one. They're still alive. They're still playing. Quick comment from you. Yeah, you know, I mean, the SEC, when you look at what they've done, I mean, the, the, the you have four teams left from the SEC, four teams left from the ACC. I mean, it feels like college football all over again, you know, with Clemson and Auburn in the championship. Or Clemson-Alabama, I'm sorry, rather right. in the championship. But you look at Auburn and what they've done, you know, they were a team that really wasn't getting the headlines in the SEC this year. It was Tennessee, it was LSU, obviously Kentucky, and Bruce Pearl did another great job this year. And all of a sudden now, they're one of the ones left. Obviously, LSU and Kentucky and Tennessee are still there. But, uh, you know, they're still hanging around. Auburn had a nice win over Kansas to knock them out. And, uh, yeah, you should you should have some recognizable names here down the stretch at least getting towards the elite eight in the final four very true four from the sec that made it through uh, as you as you rattled them all off there and tennessee was the one that almost uh, blew a, a historic would have been a historic 25 point meltdown they did blow the lead but no team has ever blown that big of a lead and lost the game it, it did go into overtime and the vols eventually won and of course they've got the thursday night game coming uh with purdue all right let me set the table completely for you here uh, because we've got special guests including gary Parrish, will be here cbs sports uh, network cbs sports.com and their coverage of college basketball gary also does a great job as a local radio host in my hometown of memphis tennessee with a very successful gary Parrish radio show in the afternoon that's been on for 10 plus years he has tremendous insight into this tournament the coaching carousel and much more he has great insight into the sec and how they have made such a commitment to basketball and why financially and otherwise resources facilities coaches gary will be with us a little bit later on in the show we've got other special guests that will be here as well from a couple of different podcasts that are on our radioinfluence.com family roster uh, Jason Floyd will be here from the MMA Report. Jason does a great job with anything mixed martial arts, UFC, etc. But Jason also a huge uh, college football and basketball guy and a huge Florida State guy, not unlike Kevin Rogers, who's a Seminole. Uh, Jason Floyd's got to talk to me about his Knowles and Gonzaga, the sequel, Deja Vu. They're playing again and in Southern California again and again with Gonzaga as a one seed against FSU. So Jason will be here on the program. Also uh, to be with us, Chris Landry from the Landry Football Podcast out of Louisiana. I want to talk to Chris about the LSU Tigers. He has great insight on the football, but he's going to mention some about the hoops as well. And LSU gets ready to play Michigan State uh, coming up in that Sweet 16 game game on Friday evening uh, in Washington, D.C. So I want to talk to Chris about that. Speaking of which, we've got lots of college basketball to talk about. I want to ask Chris, too, about the sudden NFL rule change. Not sudden in that it hasn't been talked about. It's been talked about for a few weeks. But just real quick, we talk so much football, September through the Super Bowl in February on this show, Kevin Rogers, and the NFL Competition Committee and the owners have now voted that they're going to review pass interference. It's something that can be challenged. It can be reviewed inside of two minutes by the replay booth. 
I know Chris will have something to say, but you get the, you get a crack at this too, even though it's not college basketball for a minute or two. Did the NFL do something smart or something that is potentially Pandora's box with now we're going to review penalties and even non-penalty calls for pass interference in the upcoming NFL season? Now that they've ratified that here at the end of March, what do you say, Kevin? It's horrible. Like It's just, you know, we talked about it ad nauseum a few months ago that, yeah, it was a bad no call. We all saw, we all knew it was pass interference, but at the same time, we went through it all. Drew Brees had the ball in overtime. You know, he threw an interception. The Rams kicked a 54-yard field goal. They had chances to stop them. You know, that one play didn't kill them. And I just think that now these games are going to be five hours long. That's just going to take forever because you're going to review every single play. That's a hold. That's a pass interference. And it's just it gets to a point where, you know, I understand that maybe it's not as drastic as we think, that maybe it's not going to be as crazy as we all think initially. But – like you can't have every single thing reviewed. It's you're going to be there forever. Now there's no fun in the game anymore. Well, and there's a couple of important points, uh, distinctions here. They wanted to they they put it on the table. Let's review holding. Let's review targeting. Let's review illegal blocks. And they they specifically pared it down to only pass interference for this year and ratified it. My God, if they go to every single thing, is there holding on this play? Is there is there you know an illegal block but in the back on this play? We will be there until five or six p.m. for the one p.m. Eastern time kickoffs if they do that. And here's the thing that I fear too: when we get inside of two minutes, everybody's always throwing, 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 especially at the end of the game. You're going to see stoppage after stoppage after stoppage by the replay booth and by the command center in an attempt, especially early in the year, to get these right. Even if there are non calls, even if there's not a flag for pass interference, they're going to buzz down and stop a team trying to run hurry up offense and and trying to run to the line of scrimmage after a completion. Was was that pass interference? The replay play official wants to look at it i think it is a real pandora's box and uh we'll, we'll mark it down that march of 2019 both kevin rogers and tj reeves are saying bad idea i believe that eventually they're going to go back on this and say we're not going to be in the business of reviewing judgment call penalties we'll stick to catch or not inbounds or not fumble or not clock problem but when we go down the road of unlimited reviews in the final two minutes of the half or of the overtime or of the regulation period of is that pass interference or not, Kevin, I just I believe they will eventually say this was a bad idea. It's too much. It's over officiating. It's too much burden. It's too much involved in the game. And they'll go back on it. We'll see. It may take some time, but I believe that's what will ultimately happen. Yeah, it, it, it's just. I don't know. We're, we're, it, we're, it's it's so hard for me to even explain just because one play, because of obviously what it was, the NFC Championship, if this was a Week 12 game between the Jets and the Browns, you know, it, it wouldn't be the same thing. But just this one play and the outcry from New Orleans, which was just so over the top, you right. know, because they had chances in that game. You know, it's like you got you to gotta take an L sometimes. You know, you just got to be like, okay, yeah, we lost. You know, and, and not just keep complaining and the city's not going to watch the Super Bowl. And I was like, like, get over it already, you know. So it's just, I just don't think it's a great idea because now, you know, I don't know. I just, 
That's all just I wait. About it. I'm, and here's I'm, one I'm more. Stuck on it. I know you're stuck on it, and we're going to get to the basketball. Here's yeah. one more. Just wait till the team scores the winning score on a pass play in the final seconds, and the replay official buzzes down without a flag being thrown and says it was offensive pass interference to get open, even though it wasn't called on the field. Uh, just wait till that happens when you're ta- when you're wiping away the winning score in a game and those kind of things on a call that wasn't made and hasn't been able to be reviewed in the past and you just live with it. Oh, I can't wait for that. All right, so there's a little football. Chris Landry will probably say something about it a little bit later on uh, here in the show. Now let's move on and talk about the basketball and the, and the basketball on the court now that uh, we get to that and the, and the Sweet 16 games. First, just quickly, Duke and UCF. You and I have not had a chance to talk about that Sunday night thrilling second-round game won by Duke by a point. Game could have gone either way. Uh, calls, no calls, big shots, big moments in the game. UCF still with a chance to win the game, to tip the ball in. Aubrey Dawkins, the coach's son, Kevin, you know this, could have tipped it in and won the game and did not. Uh, Kevin, uh, just give me a quick thought or two uh, about that and Duke still being alive here for the Sweet 16 and their upcoming matchup with Virginia Tech, but barely against UCF. Part of me is upset that you know UCF didn't win that game just because it would have been a, a great finish and a great upset, but part of me is happy that Duke survived just because, I mean, I hate to say this, but the tournament is better right now with Duke still alive and not UCF playing. I think that, that Duke being there is a good thing, you know, because if they keep going and you get Duke, Michigan State, you get Duke, Kentucky, somewhere towards the end, that's much better than if UCF plays and they get knocked out. And it's, I just don't think that, uh, you know, UCF, you know, keeps anybody's attention right. after I, that I game. You know, but, uh, yeah, I, one thing I give UCF is they had a shot. And this wasn't, you know, a shot with a fadeaway three at the buzzer. Like, they got in there and they missed a tip-in at the end that would have been, <laughs> you know, a, a great job by UCF. They had won their first tournament game in the first round ever, and then they had Duke on the ropes. But, uh, yeah, I think that it would have been nice to UCF win, but I think for college basketball purposes, I think Duke winning, I think, is better for, for the brackets and for people No to question. To watch. The interest, the millions more that will be watching because Duke is in it, because they're a love-hate team. Not unlike what the Yankees are, the Dallas Cowboys are, they're a love-hate team. All right, we'll continue the conversation about all of these Sweet 16 games. First, a sponsor here on Three Dog Thursday, Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. Kevin Rogers, uh, all over the country here for these uh, different sites. There are four sites Thursday and Friday, obviously, from D.C. to Louisville to Kansas City to L.A. We're encouraging the fans use Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app for tickets. We are taping Three Dog Thursday in advance of Thursday, but I'm looking right now at lower-level tickets to get in for Friday night. Again, Duke and uh, Virginia Tech, Michigan State, LSU is the matchup. Everybody wants to see Zion Williamson What's the? What do you think the cheapest lower level ticket is right now on Vivid Seats on the resale secondary market to get in to see the Duke game Friday night in the Sweet Sixteen? Give me a ballpark guess for a uh, for a ticket. What do you think? Get in. One thousand dollars. One thousand dollars is right at it. In fact, the lowest ticket you can get in is six hundred and thirty-eight. The average ticket right now is over nine hundred and fifty dollars for a ticket in the lower level. You could pay as much as fifteen hundred dollars right now to sit courtside lower level in the Capital One Arena. 
And again, Vivid Seats has got all of your seats, all of your tickets for all of these sites. D.C., Louisville, Kansas City, Anaheim. Stay on the Vivid Seats mobile app and we'll throw in a promo code TJBasketball10. Use that promo code TJBasketball10. You'll take 10% off of your order up to $50. If you're a first-time user on Vivid Seats, TJBasketball10 gets you 10% off. So whether you're buying tickets here for the Sweet 16, for the Elite 8 games, they're going to get harder to come by, especially if Duke wins in D.C. If Kentucky wins in Kansas City, good luck trying to get a ticket. Go to Vivid Seats. They've got a 100% guarantee. Customer service is fantastic. And remember the promo code TJBasketball10 to take 10% off. TJBasketball10 for Vivid Seats. And Zion Williamson, and I'm going to brag on us because you and I said after the injury in the North Carolina game at home that he would be back. Uh, I believe this, you believe this, that he would try to help Duke win a national title. For all of those that kept saying, no, he should never play another second of college basketball. It doesn't mean anything. He's not being paid. It clearly means something to win a national title. And he realizes with the guys that he's around, we have a chance to win the whole thing. This is history. This is my one year at Duke. It's likely for Reddish and Barrett. It's their only, and maybe even Trey Jones, the guard. It's maybe their only one year at Duke with Coach K. Bravo. Zion Williamson playing out of his mind in that game on Sunday night, how well he played to help get Duke to within a point. They end up getting the rebound of the missed free throw to get the lead. Uh, again, for all of those that wanted to say he's never going to come back and play in college basketball or he shouldn't, sit down. Sit down and shut up. Because uh, obviously it means something to him. It means a ton to him. It means a ton to, to the legacy of Coach K and Duke basketball to have them still alive. And let's see now. They get they get an ACC foe. We'll talk about it a little later on with you. They get an ACC foe that beat them in the regular season without Zion Williamson while he was hurt. So now it's a rematch against Virginia Tech, and uh, and Duke is, is still very much alive. And all the one seeds, all the two seeds, all the three seeds made it through. It's the first time since 2009, only the second time since they expanded the field to 64 teams in 1985. Only twice in the last 34 tournaments have we seen the ones the twos and the threes all make it to the second weekend so we definitely have the favorites but why do i get the feeling that we're going to see some underdogs so kevin rogers with that in mind we begin in los angeles and in louisville on thursday night four more games with eight more teams uh, who do you like as an underdog right away uh coming out of uh, of any of these matchups in the west or in the south regional there's only one game I like on Thursday, and it's Texas Tech. I had them against Buffalo, not on the show, but I had them on the site in the last round. Uh, I think this is a team that, uh, you know, we talked about in the Big 12. K-State ran out of gas, Iowa State, you know, the target was on them. But Texas Tech kind of seemed forgotten after they lost to West Virginia in the Big 12 tournament. You know, they got shocked, and, and they lost that game. But, you know, maybe that was good for them just to, you know, go away, have a few days to clear their head. And because they knew they were going to be a high seed in the tournament. And Michigan is a team that, uh, you know, obviously is one of the, the big dogs. Them getting to the national championship last year and losing to Villanova. But, you know, Michigan also lost to Michigan State three times down the stretch. And, you know, for this Texas Tech team, they're well coached by Chris Beard. And I, I just think that Texas Tech, that they, they have the players, they can hang with Michigan. And, and this line being as short as it is, you know, you would have thought that. Michigan would have been a little bit of a higher favorite, but uh, you know this tells me Michigan or that uh, Texas Tech may be worth the look here. 
and I love the Red Raiders as well. I have I've had them in my Final Four, been talking about on other shows, made mention uh, last week that I love Texas Tech to end up uh, as a dark horse team coming out of this West Regional. So obviously I'm going to stick with them, and I'm going to take them along with you as one of my three underdogs. Jarrett Culver is their leading scorer. I think it's fair to say there was no more impressive team for both games than Texas Tech that's still alive. Uh, you could you could maybe make the argument about um, a couple of other teams, Gonzaga. You know, Gonzaga struggled some in their in their second game in their round two game, but they won easily going away. But I mean, you look at you look at how much Duke uh, trying to get to the finish line. Uh, Virginia losing the whole time to Gardner Webb. I know they were very impressive against Oklahoma. You look at Tennessee blowing that twenty five point lead. They were losing in the first game in the second half to Colgate, Tennessee, and they were losing or they they lost a twenty five point lead to Iowa. My point is, Texas Tech was never challenged in the second half of either game with Northern Kentucky or Buffalo. Yes, they were supposed to win, but they won easily. I like Chris Beard's Red Raiders here. Experience from a year ago in the Elite Eight a year ago, I I think they're going to find their way ultimately into the Final Four, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the show. But I'll take them here in the head-to-head matchup with Michigan. Uh, Michigan, very impressive against Florida. Last week on Saturday night, um, and and Beeline's team can guard, and they've got veteran players that were in the title game last year, but I'll just take Texas Tech in that same spot. So you're not going to take another Thursday underdog for Three Dog Thursday purposes. You're going to save two for Friday later in the show, correct? Yeah, these other games, you know, Florida State, Gonzaga, you know, it was a tough one rematch from last year, the Florida right. State one. You know, Purdue, Tennessee, you mentioned Tennessee, you know, uh, squeezing by in their first two games. I mean, I know they pulled away from Colgate, but I don't know if Tennessee comes away here with a really good performance. I mean, Purdue was impressive oh, against Villanova oh. in the last round. And how, how, I mean, how, uh, who saw that? I, 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 thought, I thought Villanova would win, but I didn't see a 25-point beatdown by Purdue and Carson Edwards. Again, this may be another signal of how good the Big Ten was this year, and the Big Ten is in the postseason, that Purdue put that whooping on Villanova, Kevin Rogers. Yeah, and you know what, too, with the Virginia-Oregon game, just for our purposes, you know, Oregon, you know, they've come out with two wins so far, but, you know, are we kind of waiting for Virginia to have like that yep. uh, 65 to 45 win? You know, and Oregon is not really a high scoring team. So, you know, that's one right. I don't want to, you know, I'll stay away from Oregon on that I'll one. Stay away from that one. Dana Altman, by the way, in the Sweet 16 for the second time at Oregon as a 12 seed, did it in 2013 and is now back in 2019 as a 12 seed in the Sweet 16. But I'm with you. That game in Louisville, that is the late game on Thursday night. I like Virginia. I I will go ahead and take Florida State uh, to keep it close, if not win against Gonzaga. They beat them a year ago. Florida State's length, I think, will be a big factor uh, in this one. We'll talk some a little bit later on. Again, when Jason Floyd joins me, he'll be talking about his Seminoles. They had problems with both Vermont and even early on with Murray State, but then they, they squeezed off Murray State and won much more easily in the Vermont game they were losing uh in this game and 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 having trouble in the second half putting it away but Florida State out of the very tough ACC I will take the seven and a half points with Leonard Hamilton and his team against Gonzaga in this matchup in Los Angeles and again that is a four uh local time Pacific time 
start. That's the first game up on Thursday at the Honda Center in Anaheim. Uh, the late game is the Texas Tech-Michigan game. And one more nugget. I don't know if you're aware. Are you aware of the Purdue-Tennessee nugget about Rick Barnes and the postseason record for Rick Barnes in his last 12 games as a postseason uh, coach in the NCAA tournament I'm talking about now, not conference tournaments. NCAA tournament for Rick Barnes, the last 12 games. Any idea what his record has been uh, going back Tennessee, Texas, and even back to Clemson? You mean against the spread? Against the spread. What's his postseason record in his last twelve NCAA tournament games? Do you have a I know guess? it's terrible. It's probably like it's probably it's probably like one and eleven or two and ten. I know, you I know are very close. close. One ten and one. He is one yeah. ten and one with neither game being covered this year against Colgate and the meltdown against Iowa. Go back to his Texas days and even previously to that to Clemson. Uh, in NCAA tournament games, be very leery of Tennessee and Rick Barnes because he is only laying a point and a half here against Purdue and Carson Edwards in that game. So we'll see how that plays out. Kevin, stand by. Uh, we're going to come back to you later on in the show. Again, a barrage of guests that will be coming here on the program. That includes Jason Floyd of the MMA Report here from RadioInfluence.com. He's going to talk some Florida State basketball. Uh, also, Chris Landry will be here a little bit later on. I want Landry's insight from the Landry Football Podcast on that uh, that pass interference rule being passed here and what he thinks, but I want him to talk LSU with me. LSU Michigan State on Friday night in Washington, D.C. And what are they going to do with Will Wade as the coach. What is he hearing? Uh, Because Chris is still plugged into the LSU Athletic Department and Administration on what they're hearing out of Louisiana. And Gary Parrish will be here. CBS Sports Network, CBSSports.com. Great insider. You see him on the TV. You read him on the web. Coaching carousel, Sweet 16 talk, and much more. That is all still to come. It is Three Dog Thursday. Stay with us. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. Been looking forward to getting this guy on for a while. Uh, Does a great job on CBS Sports Network uh, with all the college hoops and the information. Uh, Also does a great job with uh, local Memphis radio as well. The Gary Parish Show uh, on 92.9 FM in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my hometown. I am a Memphis State Tiger alum. Now I, I still live with calling at the University of Memphis. So I love me some Gary Parish rocking along here on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. How are you? Happy Sweet 16 weekend, and it won't be long before we're all in Minneapolis for the Final Four. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Uh, you know, busy, but but good. I appreciate you having me on. It's nice to talk to you. Well, listen, it's it's good to have you because you are all over the place with news, with info. I'll get to the coaching carousel in a moment. If I say to you, sweet 16 game out of the eight of them at the four sites Thursday and Friday that intrigues you the most and why, give me one, please. Go North Carolina Auburn because uh, those teams are two of the best offensive teams in America, North Carolina plays at a at a better tempo, but Auburn shoots a bunch of three pointers. I was actually looking at it last night. Um, if they're going to take sixty shots in a game, thirty of them are going to be from beyond the arc. I mean, about every other field goal attempt is a three point attempt, and they make about thirty eight percent of them. And so, any team that that committed to shooting from beyond the arc, if it gets hot, can really cause problems for you, even in a in a high possession game like North Carolina wants to play. Got Jared Harper on one side, Kobe White on the other. Um, I think that's probably the most entertaining Sweet 16 matchup. Obviously, 
the biggest game is always going to be the game that involves Zion Williamson because he is the star of the sport this season. But the most entertaining game, I think, might be North Carolina Auburn. That's a good. That's a good way to put that. And of course, Auburn, uh, as I said uh, earlier this week on another show, that was like a Mike Tyson '80s first round knockout against Kansas. The way that they blitzed them in the first ten minutes. I mean, they were heat checking threes with no one under the basket on the fast break. Gary Parish. I mean, years ago, that would get you put on the bench if you took one of those even if you made it, maybe. But uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Pearl has got those guys with the green light. Um, and I, I'm very, I'm with you. I'm very curious to see if the SEC won't get uh, that team through. Uh, you mentioned Duke, and, and you got to be proud of me. I didn't ask you about Duke first. So I'll ask you about Duke second. The, uh, the game right. with UCF, uh, that may end up being the best game of this tournament, Gary. I don't know what's going to happen this round, the Elite Eight or the Final Four, but that was an amazing final five, six minutes of drama and calls and no calls and, and clutch shots. It was incredible. The other, We've had a few days, and we're still trying to digest it. Yeah, it was great. I actually rewatched it when it aired on CBS Sports Network just because, I, I don't know, because I was working and it was on the TV right in front of me. But it, it, even on a second viewing, it was um, a, a lot of fun. And I know people you know, left that game with a lot of questions about Duke. Like, are they more vulnerable than maybe the casual basketball fan realizes? Are they lucky to still be playing? And I think the answer to both of those questions is probably yes. I've never thought they were unbeatable, even though they're very difficult to beat. Uh, They do have an undeniable flaw, and that's perimeter shooting. You know, um, they they rank outside of the top 300 in three-point shooting in America, and in a single elimination tournament, that's a scary thing can to carry I, around with Can I interject? They have another flaw, and we saw it at the end of the game the other night, free throw shooting. It's uncharacteristic sure. for Coach K, but they've been in the 200s or the 250s most of the year in foul shooting, and they missed three enormous ones in the final minute of the game the other night. It's very unduke-like, yeah. isn't it? Right. I mean, so, so this is not a perfect basketball team, and they are lucky to still be playing because – I mean, the Aubrey Dawkins putback looked like it was going in. If I paused it at the moment his hand was on that ball and said, TJ, what do you think is about to happen? You'd say, mm-hmm. he's about to, to, to put this back in. Um, obviously, it rolls off the rim, so Duke advances. But I will say, there were some things I think, if you're looking for positives, you can pull from that game as well. And that's that with real game pressure on them. I mean, they're the favorite to win the national title. Um, they're down four points in the final couple of minutes. And UCF's out in transition. You know, if they get that alley-oop to go, it's a six-point game. And at that moment, you can really start to, to tense up. You know, first off, these guys have been on big stages, but never this stage before. They're all freshmen. Um, there is no, you know, in the NBA, you get in a tight late-game situation. As long as it's not a game seven, they're, they're, you know, or an elimination game, there's, there's always tomorrow. And, and, and beyond that, there's always next, or usually next year. Like, okay, we didn't get it this time, but we'll be back next year. Right. With this particular team, you only get one shot at it. Like, Zion is not going to be in college next year. Neither is Cam Reddish, neither is R.J. Barrett, and I doubt Trey Jones is. So they were literally on the verge of playing the final two minutes together that they'll ever play. And then Cam Reddish knocks down a big three. Then Zion takes the ball right at Taco, not only gets the bucket but gets the fifth foul, which allows R.J. Barrett to get the offensive rebound on the subsequent free throw. Duke takes a one-point lead and then holds on. And so to have three different freshmen, all of whom are going to have the ball in their hands next time you're in a late-game situation, 
make big plays, not even blink under the game pressure, I thought was, was, a, was a positive you could pull from that game from Duke's perspective. Obviously, if you are a number one seed, you don't want to be trailing in the final two minutes of a round of 32 game. That's not the way those are supposed to go. But, but once you are in that situation, how do you respond? And I thought they responded well. Voice of Gary Parrish. He's only got a few more moments with me. I appreciate him making time for me. You'll see Gary on all the coverage on CBS Sports Network, pregame, postgame, uh, Brent Stover, John Rothstein, their whole crew. Gary does a great job with the inside info as well, CBSSports.com. I want to ask him about the coaching carousel in a moment. But if I say to you, non-one or two seed, and all the ones and twos are alive, it's a rarity, they're all alive, uh, for this Sweet 16 in 2019, non one or two seed that has a good, if not great, chance to come out of the weekend and be min- and be in Minneapolis, be at the Final Four. Give me a three or lower. Who do you like and why? I'll say Texas Tech, and the reason is because they've got one thing that's going to be there every single game, and that's that defense. You know, they're top two in defensive efficiency in the country. They've got a lottery pick in Jared Culver. I know Chris Beard hasn't been a Division One coach very long, but I think he's already established himself as one of the best Division One coaches in the sport. I mean, that, that guy, what he did, first at Little Rock, by the way, he takes over a Little Rock program that had been outside of the top 200 at Ken Palm year after year after year. He bounces it inside the top 75, goes to the NCAA tournament, wins the game, and then leaves after that season because he ultimately got the Texas Tech job, and Little Rock went right back to being a sub-200 team. It's like all sub-200 years, the Chris Beard year, and then all sub-200 years again. Then he goes to Texas Tech and inherits, yeah, a, a pretty good situation at a, at a historically bad Big 12 job and makes it better. In the Elite Eight last year, got a better team this year, and he's not doing it with McDonald's All-Americans or even top 50 prospects. Jared Culver was a sub-100 uh, player coming out of high school. He's a projected lottery pick. You, you give me that guy, that team, that identity – I'm not picking them to go to the Final Four, but, again, following the rules that you provided, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody that's not a top-two seed, um, there's nothing surprising about Texas Tech ending up in Minneapolis. And I'll take it a step further. Um, With the way this bracket has unfolded, with the better teams um, advancing for the most part, I mean, we got all the ones, all the twos, all the threes, two fours, a five and a 12. And the five, by the way, is Auburn, preseason top-15 team that just won the SEC tournament. And the 12... Oregon, preseason top 15 team that just won the Pac-12 tournament. Yep. So there are no Cinderella's here. There are no mediocre teams here. Anybody at this point, any of these 16 teams are capable, good enough of, of winning two more and going to the Final Four. Love that. Gary Parrish here uh, with me, and I'm smiling even though you can't see me because I've loved Texas Tech out of that West draw from the beginning to be in the Final Four. Let's see. Let's see what happens with Florida State and Gonzaga as the first game in the West and then Texas Tech and, and Michigan in that one. Before you go, and, and the carousel, the coaching carousel is always evolving. More jobs coming open this week. You may be listening to us and a job or two may have been filled. We don't know that at the time that Gary and I are taping. What opening intrigues you right now the most as to what that school would would do and what coach they might be able to get? Is there one that stands out that you'll be watching the most and covering the most? Well, I think UCLA is the biggest job open, the biggest brand that's open. And, you know, they've had months to to work on this because they fired Steve Offord on New Year's Eve, and it's been relatively quiet, um, the UCLA coaching search to date, which suggests to me – they're waiting on somebody. 
you know, whether it's to make a big offer to John Calipari or to Tony Bennett. And by the way, I don't think either guy would take that job. It, it wouldn't make much sense on a surface level for either guy to take that job. Does the guy, but can I interrupt, does the guy have to have sure. a UCLA connection this time somehow, some way, or do you think that doesn't matter to Dan Guerrero? I think it shouldn't matter to Dan Guerrero. And the reason is because anytime you start going down that path, like we're going to hire um, somebody with head coaching experience. We're going to hire somebody with NBA connections. We're going to hire somebody from the UCLA family. We're going to hire a minority candidate. Anytime you limit your pool of candidates, you are from the jump eliminating somebody who might actually be the best candidate. And so I've never thought the, the stuff that sometimes matters to these athletic directors should matter. Like, well, Desi, you know, it's a West Coast job. Has he ever worked on the West Coast? It doesn't matter. You know, John Calipari <laughs> had never worked in the South until he got the Memphis job. And guess what? He was awesome. You want to know why? Because he's awesome. It, it, like, like, awesome coaches work anywhere. Rick Petito's in Greece right now winning games. He's got no connection to Greece. He just knows how to coach basketball. And so if I'm UCLA, I'm trying to get the best basketball coach guy who can run a college basketball program I can get and then I'm giving him all the resources to be great and getting out of the way so I do think they'll 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 at least try to make a pitch to John Calipari or to Tony Bennett but I ultimately don't think they'll get somebody who is successful well compensated and comfortable at what is considered you know a top three or four job in in a power five league but it doesn't mean they won't try um Luke Walton is a name that has been tossed around. you got to wait for the Lakers to fire him, probably. Earl Watson's name has been linked to the job. He's mm-hmm. obviously got um, UCLA connection. There's some thought that you know if Oklahoma City does not allow Billy Donovan to coach again next season, because that team has slipped a little bit in the standings in, in recent weeks, that, that he could come back to college and take best job available. Obviously, if you're UCLA, you'd kill to get Billy Donovan, a two-time national champion. So I guess I'd, there's a lot of different directions UCLA could go, but the only thing that seems clear at this moment is that they're waiting on somebody. Is that Luke Walton? Is it Billy Donovan? Is it John Calipari, Tony Bennett? We'll see. But the, 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 UCLA, the next UCLA coach probably – is still working right now. Interesting. Well, and there's another way to take that, and we don't have 15 more minutes. Maybe they don't know what they're doing, and maybe Dan Guerrero doesn't <laughs> know what the, what he's doing, but we'll find out who that name is, and I'm with you. Calipari's not leaving Kentucky for UCLA. Uh, and Tony Bennett, maybe. Let's see what happens with Virginia. In the t- I don't know. You have much more insight on this. You and John Rothstein and the Insiders, uh, your colleague Jeff Goodman and others, I, I read all of you uh, for the Insight, Andy Katz and others on, on who's going well. Where Wills, I'd, I'd love to watch the name Johnny Dawkins. Is Johnny Dawkins going to be at Vanderbilt? That seems like an interesting one. I have no idea. I know the Vanderbilt job's a better job than the UCF job in terms of the money and, and the recognition and that kind of stuff. But we'll see if Dawkins wants to leave. I'm, I'm just curious to watch the carousel unfold. It's like half the SEC jobs are open, Gary, which is great for business for you, including the local show in Memphis, trying to figure all this out. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild few days. I mean, the SEC has really invested in men's basketball in recent years because they've got so much money from the SEC network and, and their media rights in general that, you know, they, you got to spend it somehow. And, I mean, that's the way college athletics works. You spend all the money so that you can say you don't have any money so you can't pay players. It's like the longest-running scam in, 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 on, on college campuses. <laughs> and so um, 
Mike Fly, before he passed, obviously, but while he was still the commissioner um, of the SEC, when they were launching the SEC network, I, I was told, went to the presidents and the athletic directors and just said, listen, for this network to work, we need quality live programming. And the best inventory we could have is compelling men's basketball because there's only so many football games you can put on it. So he instructed the presidents and ADs, if you've got the right coach, um, do whatever you got to do to keep him and give him all the resources to be great, everything he needs. And if you don't have the right coach, fire your guy and go get the right coach. Don't um, worry about what you're paying because you've got plenty of money. And we really have reached a point in the SEC, they're not all doing it, but they all can. If they want to go pay $4 million or $5 million a year for a basketball coach, the money's there to do it. And so um, that's how you end up bringing Rick Barnes into your league, Ben Howland into your league. You know, um, you know, the um, Conzo Martin into your league. It's very rare these days for um, a Power Five uh, program to be able to pull another Power Five coach who's successful and doing well because, you know, everybody's rich now. You don't just make moves for money anymore. But the SEC can make you make moves for money. In other words, if Texas A&M wants Buzz Williams, they can they can offer him five million dollars a year, no problem, and and he might actually do that. If Alabama wants Chris Beer, they can offer him five million dollars a year, no problem, and he might actually do that. So what I think you're going to find is these SEC schools, and maybe just these SEC schools, but 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 certainly the SEC schools are going to be um, under the type of pressure to go out and spend real money, and I don't think they're going to be looking at mid-major coaches they're going to be looking for proven commodities and that's why you know if you saw arkansas go out and hire kelvin sampson a&m go get buzz williams alabama go get chris beard vandy maybe johnny dawkins another name that i've thrown out there that if i were running vandy i would make a run at is shaka smart you know shaka and his wife were attracted to texas uh, among the reasons because of austin they want to live in a real city not some little college town and so the opportunity to live in Nashville would be appealing to them. And Shock is probably one more not great year from getting fired at Texas because that hasn't gone as well as I think anybody yep. would have hoped. Now, I could, I could explain it and, and start by telling you in two of his four years, he's lost his leading score midseason once to a leukemia diagnosis, and that player never returned to his previous form. So there's been some, some easy explanations for maybe why it hasn't clicked. But, you know, Rich boosters don't care about that stuff. You either get the job done or you don't. If you don't, they'll fire you. And so Chaka is probably more willing, I would think, to maybe look at a place like Vanderbilt, which might be a lateral move or a slight step down, but you get a fresh contract, fresh fan base, fresh um, set of expectations. Um, that, that's one, if I'm Vandy, I, I would look at. But I, I think ultimately all of these programs are going to be able to make quality hires because they got the money and the league to, to go make that happen now. Love that and love this guy. Gary Parrish Show is weekdays on 92.9 FM in Memphis, and you can hear it uh, on their app and online as well. And you see him on CBS Sports Network's coverage of the NCAA tournament uh, all weekend. Right? Are you sleeping in the studio on a cot with the guys before games, after <laughs> games, Thursday night, Friday night, all the way through the Sweet 16? Is that confirmed or denied yep. on the cot? Sometimes it feels like it. I won't tell you that I've never taken a nap inside the CBS broadcast center because I, I have. They're, they're, they're long days and long nights, but um, it's a lot of fun. The idea that, you know, if you'd have told the 14-year-old me that one day I'd be 
you know, sitting in a television studio in midtown Manhattan talking about college basketball on national television, that would have blown my mind. Like, that's not, it's not the normal career path for a public school kid from Mississippi. But um, here I am. So I do complain sometimes because um, I'm human. And, again, it, it can be overwhelming. But, um, man, I, I, I remind myself pretty quickly that I'm, I'm, I'm real lucky to be able to do what I do, and I, I don't take it for granted. Uh, and we don't take you for granted either. You're very busy. Thank you for making some time on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Gary Parrish, we will be watching on CBS. We will know the Final Four this time next week. I look forward to just at least being able to say hello to you in Minneapolis and around all the coverage. Do uh, Continue to do a great job with the crew. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, hey thanks, CJ. It's good to talk to you. Well, as I did mention, Kevin will be back a little later to make some more predictions here as part of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, including Kevin and I will each give a prediction on who's a non-1 or 2 seed that could end up in Minneapolis this time next week for the Final Four. Uh, To help me out here, part of the brethren and the cistern from Radio Influence, the host of the MMA Report and that great podcast is Jason Floyd. And full disclosure, Jason and I have known each other, oh, for going on 20 years, so I'm allowed to talk to him this way. Florida State, through and through, do you have your garnet and gold underwear on getting ready for this upcoming game with Gonzaga, my friend? Not quite yet. We're, we're, we're getting closer to game time, but uh, yeah, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good about my goal. I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting to that point of do I kind of start looking at plane tickets for Minneapolis? Uh, well, you know, you know that I'm going to be hanging there. You're going to be bunking with TJ on the road here if the Knolls are able to make. They got on the doorstep last year, and I made the offer to you that you could have uh, you could have come my way to that Final Four in San Antonio when they got to the Elite Eight. And the wild thing is, for your Seminoles, they're playing the same team in the Sweet 16 in Southern California again. It's deja vu again with the Knolls and Gonzaga. What do you make of that, that it's part two? here i like it i mean obviously both teams are familiar with each other i like the Knowles in this spot i mean obviously with the win last year and i mean look you can't compare you know what what, what happened in the second round to now playing gonzaga but the, when fsu's offense is clicking like that i i think they they can beat anybody in the country and, and and gonzaga obviously has some size for people that haven't seen a lot of them they have some length Hachimura is their best player, but Florida State has got five or six players, six, seven, or bigger with the long arms. You're going to have trouble trying to score against Leonard Hamilton's defense and rebound against that length. I mean, we've seen it all year in the ACC, and it, and it really, when the game was on the line in the second half against Vermont and the second half against Murray State, they could not do a whole lot against Florida State's length, Jason. Yeah, when you look at, you know, I think the key for FSU is to stay out of foul trouble. You know, when you look at some of our, our big men, Kevin Gelly, you know, guys like that that stay healthy. I mean, not having Phil Kofer, I mean, that hurts. I mean, he's a senior leader. I think we saw Terrence Mann really step up as a leader uh, in, in the opening two rounds of the tournament. Um, but I think really for FSU, it comes down to can they hit the three. When they hit the threes, they're, they're going to be there. But when they struggle with the three, and we've seen that. I think the other issue with FSU, if you go back to the ACC tournament, especially late against Virginia, they started playing just one-on-one ball where it was the guy with the ball and everyone else stood around. That's when their offense really just right. can't do anything. 
Can't play the hero ball if you're going to try to win here against Gonzaga, against the one seed. All right, Jason Floyd does a great job. You've got an edition of your podcast out. Plug away because you're talking about, oh, he moves the needle. Connor McGregor, There's a shame. it's a shame there's nothing going on with Connor McGregor right now. So plug away on your podcast on Radio Influence, sir. Yeah, the MMA Report podcast, which is uh, now available, RadioInfluence.com, and, of course, all the podcasting apps. We talked about the New York Times article on Conor McGregor where he's being investigated for uh, a sexual assault allegation uh, in his home country of Ireland. Of course, also, he announced his quote-unquote retirement, which, tease you know, never believe in combat sports because I believe this is now the third time Conor has announced his retirement. Yes. Um, he'll probably get to about seven or eight by the time he's done. But uh, it, it's a contract negotiation. He wants more money. So we talked about that, plus uh, get you ready for this weekend's UFC and Bellator events as well. And, uh, of course, uh, looking forward to watching the Knowles play on Thursday and Saturday. Oh, he's got him already into Saturday. And, again, it, he is on it, Jason Floyd, with the MMA report and that podcast through Radio Influence, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You'll want to size up for that. One more, because I don't know this. I'm not going to be around you for Thursday night. And this is an earlier game in the evening Eastern time. It's obviously uh, mid mid to late afternoon in Southern California uh, for the Knowles. Are you going to watch this in solace by yourself, in solitude? Are you going to watch this with other Florida State fans? Uh, how are you watching the Sweet 16 game? What's the deal? Uh, I'll be sitting on the couch with me and my wife watching the game. Uh, we'll, not, we'll not go out for it. Uh, we'll sit, uh, you know, sit on, sit on the couch, enjoy the game, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, so in case that things go bad, I can just you, you can know, just switch it off and go to, to another home. go to another game. All right, so the Knolls have a shot at the Elite Eight and maybe the Final Four, and I know Jason Floyd uh, will be watching and will be seeing what happens. Again, we encourage you go find the MMA report if you are uh, a big UFC fan or for Bellator or all of this. Jason is all over it, and he loves the Seminoles. Uh, He will be doing the chop for this matchup with Gonzaga. Let's see what happens, Jason Floyd. Thank you. Hey, time to eat. All right, we'll continue the conversation about all of these Sweet 16 games. First, a sponsor here on Three Dog Thursday, Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. Kevin Rogers, uh, all over the country here for these uh, different sites. There are four sites Thursday and Friday, obviously, from D.C. to Louisville to Kansas City to L.A. We're encouraging the fans use Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app for tickets. We are taping Three Dog Thursday in advance of Thursday, but I'm looking right now at lower-level tickets to get in for Friday night. Again, Duke and uh, Virginia Tech, Michigan State, LSU is the matchup. Everybody wants to see Zion Williamson. What's the? What do you think the cheapest lower-level ticket is right now on Vivid Seats on the resale secondary market to get in to see the Duke game Friday night in the Sweet 16? Give me a ballpark guess for a, uh, for a ticket. What do you think? Get in. is right at it. In fact, the lowest ticket you can get in is $638. The average ticket right now is over $950 for a ticket in the lower level. You could pay as much as $1,500 right now to sit courtside lower level in the Capital One Arena. 
And again, Vivid Seats has got all of your seats, all of your tickets for all of these sites, D.C., Louisville, Kansas City, Anaheim. Stay on the Vivid Seats mobile app, and we'll throw in a promo code, TJBasketball10. Use that promo code, TJBasketball10. You'll take 10% off of your order, up to $50. If you're a first-time user on Vivid Seats, TJBasketball10 gets you 10% off. So whether you're buying tickets here for the Sweet 16, for the Elite Eight games, are going to get harder to come by, especially if Duke wins in D.C. If Kentucky wins in Kansas City, good luck trying to get a ticket. Go to Vivid Seats. They've got 100% guarantee. Customer service is fantastic. And remember the promo code TJBasketball10 to take 10% off. TJBasketball10 for Vivid Seats. It has been a while since the football season since I've gotten a chance to say hello to Chris Landry, who does a tremendous job. You hear him all over the place. Uh, Radio shows, Fox Sports Radio, that's where he and I previously talked a bunch. Uh, Also, the Landry Football Podcast and our family of RadioInfluence.com podcasts. This guy is on it. Anything with the college or NFL game, twice a week, every week, all year long. And here he is, and I promise... I'm going to talk a little football, but I got to sneak an LSU thought for the Sweet 16 basketball out of Chris Landry, who's with me now on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Good to hear from you, sir. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Always great to hear your voice, and uh, can't believe uh, it's been this long. Time is flying by, <laughs> but yes, it's uh, it's exciting time uh, in South Louisiana with LSU basketball in more ways than one. <laughs> oh no, no doubt. We'll talk about that in a second. But I cannot, cannot, cannot have Chris Landry on, and we already made mention of this on the podcast, and not ask you about the NFL approving on a thirty-one to one vote by the owners. The competition committee wants to look at pass interference and even non-calls of pass interference. Have a have a replay, a challenge flag available for pass interference or not, and then have reviews, unlimited reviews, Chris. Of, of pass interference or not at the end of halves and at the end of regulation, what is the Chris Landry take? Is this a good thing, or is this leading us down the road to very bad things? No, I think it's a good thing. I, I think that what we have to do is, and the league has always been slow to do this. I've been a partner in, in a lot of league meetings in the past. In fact, when we first started to introduce um, instant replay, we have to embrace technology. We, everyone knows when a, when a blatant call is missed, it, it is foolish and irresponsible to put our head in, the sand as a, head in the sand of the league and say, we don't see that. We know that. Yes, there are always some issues that you've got to work through. Um, I believe that we're eventually going to an eighth official in the box. I believe that eventually that we're going to have the ability of that guy to be able to, in real time, review back plays and have constant communication with the guys on the field and, and in a much quicker fashion, mm. which I think it's ridiculous that officials have to come to the sideline, look on an iPad, have a guy with a 32-inch high-definition screen. you got people in New York saying, hey, they missed it. It's interference. It's first and 10 bucks going in on the 12. That's it. Boom. I mean, you can do in 18 seconds, which they take, you know, eight minutes to try to figure out and still don't get it right. So I believe that's where we're headed. In this rule, let me tell you, um, I, I actually went down there because I had some work to do there on Sunday and Monday at, at the owners' meetings. The, the overwhelming thought among the coaches was, 
and around the league. It, it was an embarrassment during Super Bowl week. Right. I heard the I heard the saying the wrong team got in. That that's the worst thing you can say. Listen, bad calls. TJ is always going to be there, but. If you have the means to get it right, get it right. We can't stick our head in the sand. Everybody in the free world will see whether that call is wrong or right. And if we sit there and say, oh, yeah, we know, but we can't do anything about it, that's beyond dumb. And the league knows it, and that's why they're trying to adjust to it. I love the insight from Chris Landry with the understanding that we could talk for another 30 minutes about this. And I promise I want to get back to the college basketball and specifically LSU with you. One more. My fear, I've already said this before you came on this podcast, is that we are headed down the road where we're going to look at holding or not holding or illegal block in the back or not an illegal block in the back. And we will be there until Tuesday looking at replay reviews on all the penalties or non-penalties. How concerned are you with that part of this? Then we may be headed down the road of reviewing everything, every penalty, non-penalty. I don't, I don't know that that's a good thing, Chris. No, it's not, and I don't think we can allow it to get that way in the current way we do it. Now, let me just say this: as I said, as we move forward, and my goodness, I hope I'm alive to see it uh, because I don't think it's going to happen soon. Here's what I envision: again, the head guy is going to be eventually one day in the booth. Mm-hmm. They're going to see it in real time. So as the play is taking place and they're moving to market, there's constant communication saying, DJ, you guys got it wrong. There was a holding here. It's it's spot at the 23 and it's marked here. Boom. You can get it done. You can get all of those things done corrected in a fraction of the time to where you right now, what's holding everything up is we have a challenge or we have a stoppage and the official runs you know, 30 yards to the sidelines. He gets into a little booth and he looks. And he, <laughs> you can see he's asking for nine different views. That's where all the time is wasted. The ability in New York, the ability on site, you have to have both to be able to look at all that in real time and eliminate all that time and get it done. Listen, if there is something that needs further look, you press a button. Hold on, guys. Mm-hmm. 10 seconds. Hold on. Hey, guys, no, everything's fine. You got it right. Boom. You play it on. And then it's really easy for the official to say, hey, both says it was holding on 74. We're going in. Boom. It could be done very easily and very quickly, and then you could have it being accurate. Because, look, you're going to see things. What if on that Saints play they reviewed it and they found out the Saints moved early? Right. Guess what? It's a dead dead play. Well, Today you can't do it, but eventually if you did that, hey, they moved early. Plays run over again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Tough luck. I'm, but the point is, is let's get it right. Let's get it done quickly. Anyway, off my soapbox. There I'm you on. go. Well, we love this man on the soapbox on the Landry Football Podcast. So I've got you here dual purpose because we're talking college basketball underdogs. We're talking Sweet 16. And, oh, guess who lives in Louisiana where LSU gets ready to play Michigan State on Friday night. Um, All right, the first thing is the elephant in the room, figuratively, the Will Wade situation. You are plugged in. One, you have to have an opinion about whether or not he should be back, but is he he going to be back, or are they not just going to have to deal with this at some point? You didn't come in and talk to us, and you're no longer going to be the coach here. We've got to move on with another coach. What do you think? What are you hearing? Real quick. I think they've done what they need to do legally. You put them on suspension. Um, 
in my mind, this is going to end with Will being fired with cause. Mm-hmm. They came out and fired him right away, which people have said there is some legal elements to that. You didn't do your investigation. You just snapped judgment, yada, yada, yada. They asked for him to come speak. He didn't. I understand why Will Wade's not speaking. From what I understand, if that is true, if he's caught on FBI tape, this ain't the NCAA. He's trying to stay out of jail. <laughs> so I don't blame him I'm with you. for not talking. I'm so with... I think this is all the CYA. You know, yep. Yep. they they need to make sure that they protect the and Will needs to protect this side. I understand it. It's a really good team. You know what? You know I'm busy with football 12 months a year. But when they started to go on a run, I started to watch some of their games. Mm-hmm. and I started to look, and I'm like, man, I'm watching Kentucky. I'm watching, you know, LSU look like the most talented team in the SEC. They're deep. They're loaded. I keep waiting because they blow leads in every game. I don't know how smart of a team they are. They turn the football over. They take bad shots. I'm guessing that Michigan State's going to beat them because they're so well coached. Right. And they're so physical. And I think that that if LSU doesn't play really well or really smart, how are they they're gonna they're not gonna be able to get away with it is what I think. But well, I'm gonna tell you this. Athletically, it wouldn't surprise me if they beat Michigan State by a dozen because they're that talented. I just I don't know they can win. I just don't know that I see them winning. Florida State and LSU look like the most athletic teams that I've seen in the well, tournament. And, that, and that's why we out. love we love all these different opinions. I will have more of an opinion on this game in our final segment coming up, but I tend, I'm teasing here, I tend to agree with Chris. This could be trouble here for Michigan State just because in the Big Ten, they probably have not played a team this long, this tall, this athletic, and that could pose problems for them for Michigan State in this game in Washington, D.C. And you win this one, and you're now on the doorstep potentially of that final four that we saw LSU make back in 2006, the big baby Davis team. Of course, Dale Brown had them in the final four. Chris Landry, I'm speaking your language. Dale Brown had them in the final four back in the early 80s. Uh, so That's right. As, what 80, was that? 81 and 86. The, right, the late yeah. Ricky Blanton in 86 uh, as well. And I believe yeah, they were uh, 12. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Don Redden. Yeah, Don Redden, Don Ricky Redden. Blanton. Yeah, they Redden. were like a 12 or a 13 seed and made the Final yes. Four. So LSU has some Final Four history, and if you win Friday night, you are a step away from Minneapolis and playing for the whole thing. Uh, it's going to be wild. That is uh, that is for sure. Listen, you are gracious to come on with me. Landry Football Podcast, as I mentioned, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Set your watch by it. 52 weeks out of the year. I know you love it. Plug it one more time, Chris Landry. Yeah, LandryFootball.com. It's one-stop shopping football. The college game, the NFL game, recruiting, the draft. We've got all our draft boards up, free agency, notebooks every day, uh, podcasts, a lot of stuff. We Follow me on Twitter, at LandryFootball. But uh, uh, we love uh, being part of the family, and obviously uh, we, we love doing talking football uh, 12 months a year. No doubt, and he even squeezes in a little basketball talk with me, and I have a feeling, it is a hunch, if LSU somehow does this, even without their coach, and they're alive for the Final Four, you might even hear Chris Landry talking a little LSU basketball on the on the Landry Football Podcast next week. We'll find out if that's the case. You were a sport to come on and talk to me about NFL and pass interference and a little LSU. Let's see how it plays out. Chris Landry, thank you. You're the best. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you having me. 
Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. Having a lot of fun with all of our guests, but I can't wait to talk more with my man Kevin Rogers, senior handicapper, VegasInsider.com. Does a great job on that side. Again, Kevin, three for three with his first round underdogs last week. Documented. Thank you very much uh, to the Cal Irvine and Eaters, to the Ohio State Buckeyes, and also the St. Mary's Gales that all covered for him last week. We were five for six on the show. Uh, we've already taken together Texas Tech for a Thursday night underdog. And again, you may be listening on Friday and you already know the results of what happened on Thursday or not. We're taping it in advance of Thursday and Friday. Kevin and I both with Texas Tech as the underdog with Michigan. I also took Florida State to cover, if not upset, Gonzaga in the West Regional, taking the seven and a half points in that one. So I picked two. You've got two to give me. I've got one more from the Friday night game. So Kevin, let's jump right in. Where do you want to begin with a Friday night Sweet 16 underdog out of the uh, the two regionals the east regional in dc and the midwest regional in kansas city what do you like i'm going to start with the auburn tigers they're playing north carolina and kansas city the sprint center and i mentioned it earlier this auburn team that uh you know you can say every team has momentum right now but for them to stave off new mexico state i always think these teams that escaped the first round just play better in the second round and Auburn was able to beat Kansas pretty badly. And, and yeah, understandably, Kansas isn't, you know, the team they were in the past. But still, you know, this North Carolina team that, uh, yeah, they got a lot of really good players, you know. But uh, just the job that Bruce Pearl has done, and Bruce Pearl is a proven tournament coach. I mean, you know, obviously Roy Williams is too. But I just look at this, you know, you're getting five, five and a half with, uh, with the Tigers here. Again, I just feel like an under-the-radar team out of the SEC that no one was paying attention to. I think they could do some big things. Well, and, and it's a line of five points, as you mentioned. Gary Parrish was talking about this, too. This game is going to be a track meet, up and down. North Carolina wants to play fast. Auburn wants to play fast. And Auburn, right now, averaging 30 points uh, or 33 point attempts, 30 tray attempts per game right now. And we saw them just destroy Kansas in the first 10, 12 minutes, Kevin. Uh, with the three-point shot. They made six of them in the first 10 minutes of the game and blew Kansas out because of it. I think North Carolina obviously can go up and down the floor. Uh, Kobe White has done an outstanding job running their offense. Luke May plays below the rim, but he's got a lot of tournament experience. They've got other athletic players on the wings running the fast break. That's going to be a fun game to watch. I mean, just just looking at the point totals for Friday night, uh, you've got LSU and Michigan State is about 148.5 from the Vegas insider lines. Duke, Virginia Tech is 144.5 total points, both teams. Houston, Kentucky is 134.5, much more low scoring. The Auburn-Carolina game's 164.5. They think both teams will be in the 80s in this game, essentially, for Auburn and Carolina. So that one uh, will be a lot of fun. I will go with the early game in D.C. I like LSU uh, in this matchup with Michigan State. Uh, again, the, the Bayou Bengals have so much going on off the court. They barely won against Maryland on the last second lay, layup by Tremont Waters uh, in the final seconds in Jacksonville. 
They have a deep, talented team, but turmoil with Will Wade indefinitely suspended. What will happen with him? Michigan State, very good uh, from the second half on of the Bradley game and then the entire game against Minnesota back in Des Moines, Iowa last weekend, round one, round two. Cassius Winston will carry them, but I think LSU's length could give them problems. It would not surprise me if LSU wins this game. I will take the six points against Michigan State. I'm not saying Michigan State hasn't had a fantastic season and Izzo's not a great March coach, but something just says to me, uh, LSU has got as big and as long a lineup as Michigan State has seen in the Big Ten, and I think that will present some problems for the Spartans in this game. So in the early game in D.C., I will take LSU and the six points for the third of my three underdogs. So that leaves two games, the Duke-Virginia Tech game and the Houston-Kentucky game. They'll be going on together, one in D.C., one in Kansas City. Kevin, what do you like for an underdog to close it out for you and your three underdogs this week? I'll take a shot with Virginia Tech here against Duke. I understand that Virginia Tech beat Duke the last time without Zion on the lineup, that big Monday game in Blacksburg. I don't know if it was a Monday or Tuesday game, regardless. Uh, but they beat them without Zion. However, though, Duke has won in six ATS the last seven games. They didn't cover against UCF uh, on Sunday as a heavy favorite. And this Virginia Tech team, I feel like they're, they're like Auburn a little bit, that you know they're not one of the big-name teams in their conference, but yet they, they continue to – you know, to keep winning. And I get they beat St. Louis and they beat Liberty. They didn't really beat any great competition, but uh, they still were able to uh, get through those unscathed. And now they're playing in D.C. They're playing, I don't want to say in their backyard from Virginia Tech, but, uh, you know, playing pretty close to home. And I think that they have confidence. They know they could beat Duke. And, yeah, Zion has a different dimension, obviously, when he plays. But I just think that, you know, Duke survived against UCF, but uh, Virginia Tech here, a uh, bit of an under-the-radar under the team here, getting a lot of points. Well, and, and give them credit because Liberty had them on the ropes and they made some big shots. And the one thing we were talking about with Gary Parrish before we brought you back on here, this Duke team is not a very good three-point shooting team, at least not consistently. And they are suspect at the foul line. And Kevin, in a one-and-done... Uh, you don't know here. This is a new arena. Yes, it'll be a de facto Duke home game because they always travel well. It's in the East, so they're going to have a lot of fans there. But if, if they're not shooting the three well, they they can be beaten in this in this situation, and they have not consistently shot it. We'll see uh, for that uh, for that Friday night matchup there against uh, Virginia Tech. Of course, uh, Duke heavily favored to win the whole thing. Uh, Kentucky and Houston will be interesting as well. We don't know for sure. You may know this answer. Kevin and I don't know at the time we're taping. P.J. Washington is the biggest injury question mark of any of the 16 teams that are left. He has the injured foot. We're being told midweek that he is going to try to practice, if not play, in this game. He may or may not play. Houston, obviously great year in the American Conference. Kentucky is Kentucky. Everybody is pointing to Kentucky and North Carolina for a possible Elite Eight matchup. Uh, Will P.J. Washington play? I don't know. We'll see what happens in that Kentucky game uh, with Houston on Friday evening. One more from you. I've also asked Gary Parrish this previously. I'm curious about your answer. If it's not a one or a two seed, when the smoke clears Sunday night and we're down to the final four, give me a non-one or two seed that could very well be in Minneapolis for the final four, can be out of any of the, uh, the four regionals. Who do you like and why Kevin Rogers before we leave? I'm going to stick with Auburn, and uh, again, I give my reasoning. You know, obviously, I think they could beat North Carolina, and they get either Houston or Kentucky. Now, they haven't had much luck against Kentucky losing them twice this year, but I think that's a good thing because then 
you know that they'll be, you know, they know what they have to do the third time around. Houston's a very good team, but also, you know, Houston was a team that bulked up in the AAC, sorry. But, uh, you know, they're a team that, uh, I mean, I think all these teams are beatable. That, that's the best part about this NCAA tournament, that there's no unbeatable teams. And you saw how Duke was on, on the ropes, how they could have lost, and obviously these teams now playing better competition that uh, we're going to see some really good games here over the next few days that I just think that, you know, we shouldn't be surprised on anybody that's left right now or when it all settles uh, with the Final Four. Well, and in Bruce Pearl's case, uh, was in an Elite Eight previously with Tennessee in a Sweet 16 before that about 15 years ago with uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee. So he's got a lot of tournament experience. Let's see, Kelvin Sampson obviously coaching at Houston, his name being mentioned in the hopper, uh, uh, to perhaps move somewhere else and take a bigger job than the Houston job, although they've really upped their facilities. He's got them rolling along. Houston is a high school basketball hotbed, that whole area of Texas and and western Louisiana to recruit from. I don't know that Kelvin Sampson would want to leave for another college job because they can pay him a little better, too, in Houston, maybe, too, especially if they beat Kentucky and get into the Elite Eight. He might get a new contract. We'll see, but Interesting that you took Auburn. I'll stick with Texas Tech. Like I have been saying the last couple of weeks, I said it back at the beginning of this show, I believe they can win that West Regional. I have them in my Final Four. Have had that when the brackets came out. I have had a Duke, Virginia, Kentucky, Texas Tech Final Four. So I'll stick with Chris Beard and the Red Raiders uh, and the way that they can guard. They've got enough explosiveness on offense with Culver. They've got a couple different guys that can shoot the three. They've got experience. They were in the Elite Eight last year. So let's see what ends up happening here uh, for these different matchups. But I think Texas Tech is a non-one or two seed. I, you agree with me. It's not going to be all the number ones. I mean, we're, you may already be listening and you already know a number one seed that lost out of, uh, out of Gonzaga on uh, Thursday night or, or also out of Virginia on Thursday night. But it's not going to be all the number ones. Somebody out of Gonzaga, Virginia, Duke, North Carolina is going to get upended here in this thing, aren't they? They, they have to. It almost never happens all the number one seeds are there. Yeah, I got to think that at least one of them loses because you have a lot of quality two seeds. You know, you don't have a separation really, I think, with ones and twos or even threes. I think that a lot of them are pretty close together. I don't really think that they, uh, yeah, I don't think that you have a runaway. You know, we saw Kentucky a few years ago go, what, 40-0 or whatever it was, and they still didn't make it to the that's, championship. That's so, right. Yeah. you got to watch out for and that. Any of this could happen. Yeah, and Wisconsin knocked them off that year in 2015 uh, in the semifinals. Uh, in what was a great game in Indianapolis. We'll see. We will find out. All right, so before we get out of here, for all the information, no matter when they are hearing us, Sweet 16 Thursday or Friday or the Elite Eight, heading to the Final Four, all the best information can be found at VegasInsider.com. Kevin, tell them a little more real quick. Yeah, we have our, our bracket breakdowns down to Sweet 16. We'll have them updated going to the Elite Eight. Stay tuned every day. We'll have the updated future odds for, you know, as, as we keep going down with the teams getting eliminated. So just check us out as we've got another few weeks left of this, and then college basketball will be done with. Yes, uh, go there to VegasInsider.com. Love them. Follow them at TwitVI. Follow Kevin at VI Rogers. I love his insight. I love his humor. He is still disappointed that he was not on the Get Shorty podcast this week from RadioInfluence.com. Our, uh, our We've seen that 80s and 90s movies podcast. Get Shorty with John Travolta, Rene Russo, Gene Hackman. 
better known as Coach Norman Dale from Hoosiers, Danny DeVito and everybody else. I know you're disappointed, but I, I'm thinking I'm going to get you on a podcast coming up talking March Madness and talking blue chips if we're able to work that out. Can you accept that as a consolation prize to talk some Nick Nolte, Shaq, and the whole uh, and the whole blue chips uh, later on for March Madness. Are we good? Yeah, it's a disappointment, but whatever. We'll we'll uh, we'll be fine for the next one. <laughs> we'll go catch the next one, Kevin. Yeah. Great stuff. Good luck with Texas Tech, Virginia Tech, and Auburn. I've got Texas Tech, Florida State, and LSU as my underdogs. My thanks also to our guests, Jason Floyd and Chris Landry, with their podcasts on RadioInfluence.com, giving me some college basketball insight. Go find the MMA report. Go find the Landry Football Podcast in the library there of RadioInfluence.com and all their services. Also, thanks to Gary Parrish, CBS Sports Network and CBSSports.com for him joining us. We thank you for joining us. For Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider, I'm TJ Reeves. Follow the show at 3 Dog Thursday. Find the show as well at RadioInfluence.com and subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you for being with us. Enjoy the Sweet 16. This time next week, we're talking Final Four on 3 Dog Thursday. Bye. This is a We've Seen That Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We have Get Shorty, who was released by MGM. It came out October 20th, 1995. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. Mm. It it opened for, for its opening weekend. It was number one. It grossed $12.7 million for its first week. On that weekend, it opened up against two other movies, now and Then, which starred Demi Moore, amongst others, it was number two. And Never Talk to Strangers, I'm sure you're big on that one. It had um, Antonio Banderas and Rebecca de Mornay. I it opened number five. I can't say <laughs> that I ever saw either one of those, and I would have lost on, in, on any one of your trivia contests about either one of those. But this actually was number one for a couple of weeks at least, right? Or maybe three or four? Correct, yes. And then for the year, it ended up, for the year of 1995, it was number 19. It was just behind Braveheart, which went on to win Best Pictures, just ahead of Grumpier Old Men. The number one movie for 1995 was Toy Story. How about that? I'll round out the top five real quick. We had Batman Forever, Apollo 13, Pocahontas, and Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. We've seen that with TJ Reeves and Jay Betzel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.